All right, so back to our never-ending journey through television. So last week, we, uh, after we recorded our stuff, we spent a little time going through the Wikipedia list of all the TV shows throughout the decades. And I was just thinking, like, with, I mean, because there's no point to this. It's just an excuse to hang out and do a podcast. But when you look at the whole thing, like, I always find projects easier when you just focus on the micro details. Like, okay, just pick a show, watch it record a thing, put up a podcast, and, you know, it just accrues on its own. It's better not to think about the whole scope of it. Because, like, I don't know if you felt that way, but I was thinking after we did, like, looked through the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, just seeing what shows we recognized on the lists and then going to uh, Britain and then going to Canada, it's just like, whoa, there is too much TV. Like, we're never getting through all this, <laughs> you know? But no, see, I look at it from a different perspective because how many times have I said, but think about the time and the place when all this stuff was happening. Right. No TVs. After World War II, uh, economic conditions uh, uh, in, like, Europe and Britain, for example, would have made them be a little more, not have so much TV, whereas in, in America in the late 1940s and the early 1950s, because they were not involved in war, other than sending their troops over. Uh, they were not directly involved in it. Uh, they they just ran with it, and by the late 1940s and early 1950s, I mean, they were the kings of TV. Um, so yeah, I always kind of look at it from the perspective of we're watching a show from 1950, but rather than being too critical of it and saying, oh, that production was terrible, um, you kind of look at that time and the place when they were doing it, how much advertising would there have been so that they could produce top quality stuff. So, yeah, I look at it from a different angle than you do. So you're saying, like, yeah, like the specific shows don't really matter. It's more the the overall scope of what's going on. And I do kind of like it that way as like almost like a prism, like a way to to look at society and technology of the time, but in like a more digestible way. If you look at it through a TV show... It's just kind of a fun pop culture TV thing. It makes it seem a lot less uh, scholarly, you know? <laughs> like if we just were to read an encyclopedia article about uh, the state of television and society in the 50s, it's a lot more boring, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like you still learn that stuff, but I mean, it's because I guess I'm always obsessed with like video games and wrestling and comic books. Like it's all lowbrow shit, but you learn about society through those things. And that's kind of how I feel about this stuff too. So we found that those wiki pages that are shows that debuted by year and really quickly the American list wouldn't fit on a screen. It's so many shows. But then when we were going through uh, Canada, it was growing a little and growing a little and we got to the 60s and I think we filled a whole screen, but then it shrunk back down. And for the whole history of Canadian TV, there's never been more than like 20 or 30 new shows per year. We just never exploded like that and we still haven't. So that's kind of interesting. And then, but again, you got to take our population. Um, in the 1960s, I don't think there would have been 20 million people in Canada. Yeah. Because I think there's only about 35 million now. There might be 40. A whole lot of them lived on farms, our urban centers. We had made some major urban centers like Toronto and Vancouver and Montreal. But most of our other cities were fairly small cities, you know, 100,000 people, maybe 200,000 people. Uh, they weren't millions of people. And the distance between each of those places was huge. So yeah. it wasn't like in the States where, 
you had, I mean, there are big cities like New York, San Francisco, that they were mega cities by that time. And they had a large number of cities that would have been the size of Montreal and Toronto. And their distance was, I mean, their population was would have been, I don't know, 10 times what Canada was. Oh, maybe even more than that. I have no idea what it would have been. Speaking of that, maybe that's something we can toss in this week. Just I'll throw it on at the end. As I was looking up stuff yesterday, I found, I don't know where this video came from. It's courtesy of the Museum of Modern Art in New York. They've got like crystal clear, really well made footage of New York City, about 10 minutes of footage from 1911. And you can just watch people from 1911 walking around in like horses and buggies and shit. And it's crazy. So while we were looking through the list of TV shows, just as little names would pop out, you know, you were, you would mention like, oh, that sounds interesting, or I've heard of that or whatever. So I started jotting those down just to give us a little more direction. But we're still basically in America in the 50s still. And for this week, it was the first hundred years. And the reason this stood out is because it's the first ever soap opera. So, oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I found it's actually a really good quality for uh, such an old, obscure show. I was surprised somebody just uploaded it earlier or like in late 2020. So it's like a, a new upload and it's much better quality than some of the shit we've been watching. But there's not a lot of info about this. So it's the first ongoing TV soap opera. It aired from 1950 to 1952, uh, Monday to Friday, and the episodes are only 15 minutes long. And this is an episode from 1952, just before it got canceled. And so they were like, all right, good try. Two-year run, not bad. But let's, let's, you know, it was based on radio serials and stuff, of course. Like, all right, let's, let's quit with this show. Let's try one more time. We'll probably do better the next time. And the show it got replaced by was Guiding Light, which aired from 1952 until 2009. Like, Guiding Light did universe is better than the first hundred years. <laughs> like, I can't think of a, a follow-up show that ever trounced its predecessor that much. Yeah, 50-some years. Yeah, insane. So, so I mean, this show might be okay, but it's going to be no guiding light. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> so that's pretty crazy. But since it's only 15 minutes, uh, I thought just as another weird thing, just since that guy's upload was such good quality, I looked up what else he uploaded to YouTube. This just seems really weird. It's another unsold pilot, but it's an unsold pilot of a cartoon. So it's this newspaper comic strip called Chris Welkin Planeteer that is really obscure. Like I looked up info about it and in like comic book databases, basically they're like, yes, Chris Welkin Planeteer was a golden age comic strip. Full stop. The end. Like, there's no other information. Just this was a thing that did exist, and here's some examples of it. So they tried to make it into a cartoon that never got picked up, and this is like a 10-minute long thing. So it's like they took drawings from the comic strip, I guess, and just made like a crude animatic to show what the cartoon would be. So I'm like, well, that's just weird. And it's also from 1952. So since the one is 15 minutes and the other one's only 10 minutes, I figured let's watch them both. Sure. Absolutely. Let's get going. Cool. So we got uh, the first ever soap opera and some weird, presumably kids cartoon that never got made. So So yeah, if anyone wants to watch them, they're all on YouTube. Uh, The First Hundred Years and Chris Welkin Planeteer. Oh, Chris Welkin is from 1954. My mistake. Oh my God. It's practically modern. Yeah, getting so... Hey, 
I hope we can follow this plot because we're coming in two years late. So I guess let's wrap up this year podcast. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so yeah, I guess again, like you're saying, it's not so important the individual shows. It's just what was going on at the time. So uh, the first hundred years, I can see why it didn't quite make it. Pretty stale. <laughs> yeah, know? the first half of it, nothing happened except that man saying he wouldn't go do all those things because he his yeah. wife. He's like running for office and yeah. his assistant is like, well, you got to go judge a... Cakes cake. and judge women, go speak to the Women's Institute and you've got to judge some, some babies. Yeah, and he's like, oh, I don't want to do these things. And he's yeah, really, really boring. Then it took a uh, sudden shift of like, ma'am, can you tell me why it is that you, your husband committed suicide? Is it because they were looking into the books of his construction agency? And she's like, no, it's because of the man who got shot in a hospital and all the and like that's when the first part was not only was it really boring but the show was presenting it as boring because it just had no music but that second part yeah that's when the the organ came in yes and that would lead you if you were going to watch a second show you might say okay so what the heck's going on here why did he commit suicide what the heck is going on with this construction company yeah the organ so they were player. trying to to create your interest, build up your interest. And we didn't know who any of those characters were either, but possibly if we had been watching it all along, maybe we saw Buddy going through a period of angst. And, well, we probably didn't see him committing suicide, not in those days, but he just went off and did it. So if you knew those characters, then you'd be interested enough possibly to keep watching it. But uh, just, just based on what we saw, yeah. I don't think I'd bother. It's very funny, though, yeah, how it went from so flippant and so boring to, like, so dramatic all of a sudden. But, yeah, I think it said it was episode 361. And I'm like, man, I sure hope those housewives that watched all 360 episodes before that were just really bored. <laughs> but then again, early TV, there wouldn't have been a whole lot of others that you could watch. Like nowadays, you could just keep flipping channels and you could see any number of soap operas. Yeah. And but that uh, may have been the only one that was out there. So, hey, you had nothing else to watch. And of the 15 minutes, there was a two-minute Tide commercial at the start and a one-minute Crisco commercial at the end. So it was a lot of commercial. <laughs> so, and those were the most interesting parts. Uh, then the next thing we watched, I already forgot what it was called. Chris, uh, Chris, well, something Wilkins, Wilkins, Weller, Weller. The, the Planeteer. But yeah, it was like pretty decent for a just a test show because it was just still drawings with just the little mouths flapping up and down and occasional little bursts of animation. So like you were saying, I think you're pretty accurate. Where compared to Warner Brothers cartoons and Disney cartoons, it was bad. But compared to those Spider-Man and Iron Man cartoons from the 70s and stuff, it was fine. It actually wasn't that bad at all. <laughs> so, yeah, their, like, crappy test cartoon in the 50s was about the same level as 70s and 80s cartoons. So, yeah, and it was... It had an interesting little storyline. Um, you know, there's the captain of the spaceship with his little... Sidekick guy. Yeah, buddy, so, buddy cohort. Uh, but when they got to into the big spaceship. They thought they were kidnapped, but this story ended with them finding out that no, they weren't kidnapped at all. They were going to save the earth and and what was gonna happen and the show ended. So of course you'd wanna watch the next 
Joe to say what the heck did happen. And we've definitely established like the trope of that type of show. Absolutely. Like when you've got Chris Wilkins, whatever the fuck his name is, uh, Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon. Every time it's, oh yeah, this was the far-flung future of 1979, <laughs> where no one's been to outer space yet. They were the first, first Earth people to be in outer space. So yeah, there's the guy who gets flung into a crazy space scenario. He's always got a kid sidekick. And this one, the alien who conveniently was a hot lady who could speak English, she got knocked out. So it's like, oh no, who's going to fly the ship? It's obviously going to be Chris Wilkins. He's obviously going to jump right in and know exactly what he's doing. So yeah, it's funny that those three space shows are all virtually identical. (laughs) they, They knew what they liked in their space shows. And maybe that's why they didn't want to produce it because they were already yeah like buck rogers buck rogers already is flash gordon we don't need another one (laughs) there's no question it was a copycat of of what was already being produced but it wasn't that bad yeah it was fine and again 10 minutes easy watch why not sure it was better than the soap opera yes it was (laughs) yes it was then to finish things off we just watched the footage from 1911 new york And then we found some old footage of Chicago and then some old stuff of Toronto and Vancouver and various Canadian places. And uh, and it was just neat to watch because it's it's like New York, especially basically looks the same. It's got there's all the bridges. There's the L train. There's all the the buildings. The only differences are less people, way more horse and buggies and uh, hats. Everyone's wearing a hat. (laughs) Straw hat, for the most part. They were wearing other hats, too, but the straw hats were really popular. And then, as we watched those other cities in later years, they all wore those straw hats, too. Yeah, Yeah, it really cracked me up to see all the straw hats in 1911 in New York. And then we jumped to Toronto in 1925, and everyone's wearing the straw hats. Because it's no different now. Like, when I lived in New York in 2008 and 2009, then I moved to Toronto in 2010... And all the stuff that was cool two years ago in New York was how everyone was dressing in in Toronto. (laughs) So it's probably exactly the same. It's like Toronto wants to be the New York of Canada, but it ain't going to (laughs) happen. It's like we're behind the times. We're not as cool. And even back then, (laughs) that's how it was. So, but yeah, just kind of neat. I mean, that was probably the most interesting stuff. Just it's not a TV show. It's just historical footage, but it's just neat to see. And it's amazing at how what good quality it was. Yeah, the New York one. The time, you know, 1911. You would think you would see all kinds of. Of course, I suppose the footage has been cleaned up a whole lot by computers and that. But you'd think you'd see all kinds of uh, the white flashes coming at you, the circles in the corners. uh, But you didn't. It was. It was. uh, Yeah, and it wasn't like very clean, very nice clear footage yeah it wasn't like jittery it didn't have all the scratches and the like hairs and stuff in the gate so yeah whoever i don't know what the story is behind that that moma footage from new york but i assume somebody just probably left it in their attic for 100 years (laughs) and good on them because yeah it looks good so yeah there's not much to say about that it's just interesting it's just insane how much stuff is on youtube like i was saying how uh you can find every little thing nowadays but even for old stuff like we found a little tiny bit from our town, Fredericton, from like the 60s. And then the next town over, St. John, is way more famous. So it goes back to the 20s. And yeah, that Canada stuff like Vancouver and Manitoba and Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, I don't know. Yeah, Saskatoon, <laughs> Saskatchewan. Yeah. Quebec City. Like, yeah, it's, it's surprising how much stuff you can find of old footage because it, uh, it never occurred to me that 
anyone was filming that stuff and mostly they weren't but somebody was and it only takes one as long as one person filmed something and didn't lose the footage like there you go you get to see the past it's cool and new york looked cool like i was saying while we were watching it i didn't actually like new york very much in the year 2008 but in the year 1911 it's probably very very awesome (laughs) it would have been very cool to be there nowadays it's just it's too much it's a little too crowded too big too Yeah. yeah too big too noisy yeah but they probably thought in those days, anybody who went there, let's say if you were from a small country town or a farm or a small, even a small urban community, and you went there, you probably found that incredibly noisy. Yeah, you really do have to kind of level up. Because, like, I went to Montreal a few times as a kid. You know, we'd go to visit Grammy McNally. But uh, the only time I went by myself, the first time was 2003. Me and that dude, Sean, that I knew, we went to go see wrestling. And I remember I found Montreal quite overwhelming in 2003. But yeah, then I moved to Vancouver, and then I moved to New York, and then I moved to Toronto. And nowadays, I find Montreal very calm. (laughs) Like You just get used to it. And this town, Fredericton, holy shit. When I first came back here after I'd been gone for a while, it feels like a back lot, like a movie set, that they're not using right now. There's just fucking nobody here, which then when COVID happened is really good, because if you see a person... Just cross the street. Like, you can stay away from people. Like, But everything's relative. Yeah. Because if you are in a traffic jam here for even a minute, we start saying, oh, my God, traffic jam. Oh, it's a minute. But in those larger cities, people are oftentimes in traffic jams for 25, 30, 40 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard in, uh, like, L.A., it's, like, supposedly crazy bad. You just, like, well, the, the closest thing I've had to that lately was... When I was in Tokyo and I had to go get my uh, my passport sorted out because I lost my passport. So I had to get to the passport office relatively early because normally I would always avoid rush hour. So uh, I was in one of the big stations in like Shibuya during that morning rush you always hear about. And it was just like they say, like every car in the subway was so filled with people that they, they cram people in. They like push them in so the door will close because they are proud of how their, their trains run on time, you know? And I saw that and I'm like, fuck this. Like I just, I, I think I just went to the bathroom, not to use the bathroom, just to go sit in a stall and read comic books on my phone for 40 minutes because uh, there was nowhere to sit because everything's so crowded. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm just going to go in this little cubicle and wait for the storm to pass and then I could finally get on the train. And it was still busy, but that shit was nuts. Like the turnstile, the line of people went past the turnstile to get into the subway. It was just stupid. I don't know how they're dealing with corona there because there's so many people. And yet here, like at 8 o'clock or 7.30, 8 o'clock when I'm coming to work here, oh, there might be, oh, maybe 10 cars lined up at the intersection. Oh, my God, it's so busy here. Oh, my Lord, look at all the cars that are on the road. And then by 9 o'clock, it's down to... Just two or three cars piled up at the intersection. And it's, oh, my God, it's just so, how that traffic rush is over. (laughs) So anyway, there, there's a weird little eclectic stuff for this week. But again, just uh, historically significant. The first, the first soap opera. first soap opera, and thank goodness it didn't last. (laughs) Yeah. And again, yeah, like Guiding Light. I mean, I, I just, unbelievable that it lasted 60 years or whatever. It's crazy. It's insane. But, you know, whatever. Gotta yeah. start somewhere. Maybe we should watch an episode of Guiding Light sometime. Yeah, I to, mean, just to see what was the difference that what what was a what was the thing about Guiding Light 
that made it last, whereas the first hundred years didn't. Yeah. What even I, that name, the first hundred years? What the heck is that all about? Yeah, because we were asking ourselves that, and like we have no answer. Who knows? Because it's still basically just domestic stuff happening. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it's not like a war or something. Like that's what that sounds like to me. Like something about a war or something. Or something, something about a history or something. Yeah. <laughs> but it 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 wasn't that. Whereas Guiding Light, you can see that being the name of a soap opera. Yeah, it's actually a, a kind of a good title. It's kind yeah. of cool. It's a pseudo-religious-y sort of you spiritual. You know, like now you've got The Young and the Restless. Uh, that's Day, right. Days of Our Lives. Days of Our Lives. Uh, as the stomach turns, as the world turns. <laughs> yeah. um, so Guiding Light, yeah. The, but the first hundred years, like that name just doesn't cut it. You know what's funny is that they could have called the guiding light the first hundred years because it almost ran for a hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> for the last hundred years. Yeah.